Thanks for checking out the Vox Church podcast. We are so honored to have you join us, and we hope this message speaks to you in a powerful way. Learn more about Vox Church by visiting us online at voxchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church. Every living room, every bedroom, God bless you. Welcome to Vox Church. If you're new to Vox, my name is Justin, I'm the lead pastor. Thank you for joining us online today. If you're with your spouse or your friend sitting in your house, look at them in the eye and tell them, welcome to church. Come on, tell them right now. Welcome to church. We're glad that you're here. We're in the middle of a teaching series called More Than Alive. More Than Alive. You know, God has called you to live a life that is more than alive, a supernatural life where you don't just survive, excuse me, but you thrive in him, that you experience a life beyond the natural, a supernatural, Holy Spirit-filled life. This is God's will for you. And so that's what we've been looking at these last two weeks. This is part three of that series, and I am excited that you have decided to join us. A couple of exciting things coming up, church, December 4th. Uh, Vox has an album coming out, a worship album. So excited about that. And, uh, and of course, you know, the microchurch gatherings for December. Keep your eyes on our website. We're doing our best to keep you safe. If you don't feel comfortable, we'll continue to offer this online church experience, of course, for anyone. But anybody that does feel comfortable, we'll keep all the state and federal guidelines and protocols in place and, uh, and do our best to meet so safely so that we can worship Jesus, but we can also stay healthy in this crazy time, preparing our hearts for Vision Sunday, December 13th. Look at that person next to you and tell them December 13th. If you're by yourself, you can just say it to yourself. December 13th is Vision Sunday. It's also the week that our family of faith will give our end of year offering. Every year at Vox, we come together at the end of the year. We give our best gift to the mission of Jesus to advance the gospel. And so I encourage you, begin praying about that. How would God lead you to sacrifice, to trust him? I know it's been a crazy year and that looks different for every one of us, but I can say full of faith that in the midst of a crazy year, hasn't he been faithful? Hasn't he been faithful? Shouldn't we just, in the midst of a crazy year, pause and say thank you, especially on this Thanksgiving weekend? Thank you, Jesus, that you have been faithful through it all. In this part three of More Than Alive, we're going to look at a really familiar story. And I think that sometimes when we hear a familiar story in the Bible, we have a propensity to hear it and think to ourselves, you know, oh, I already know that one. You know, I got that one figured out. I've already learned all that there is to learn from that story. But, you know, as the Holy Spirit drew me back to this story that we're going to look at today, I really discovered that I had only scratched the surface of its truth. And the truths that are found in this text could not be more relevant to the times that we're living in, to the experiences of our day-to-day life lives right now. And so if you have a Bible, wherever you are, you can turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It says this, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, what shall we buy or where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind 
what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he says to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This is God's word, this story recorded in all four of the Gospels, a critical story. And I want to talk to you today on the topic. If you want to jot some notes down, wherever you are, the title of the sermon is A Little Extra. A Little Extra. Would you pray with me right in your home today? Father, thank you for the people of God for the privilege of gathering in this different way during this different time. I thank you that you have encouragement that you're gonna transfer right through this screen today. I thank you that you have faith that's gonna begin to grow and build in the heart of every person that can hear this today in Jesus' name. And so as a family, as we gather, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd begin to do a work in each of our hearts, even right now. Those of us that are in the room here physically and those of us that are through the screen on the other side, in Jesus' name, knit our hearts together in love. And Holy Spirit, would you do a profound, life-changing work? We invite you. Do it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. The other day, I got home from work and my wife was trying to manage our four kids. We have a two-year-old all the way up, almost two, all the way up to 14-year-old. And, and so we're running around trying to manage the kids. And that particular day, they were just crazy. And, uh, and, and I, I saw them kind of bouncing off the wall and, and being a little nuts. And I looked at my wife and she looked at me and she said, yeah, they're, uh, Chrissy just said, they're a little extra today. <laughs> They're a little extra today, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but I feel like the last few months, a number of us are a little extra. If you're with your spouse or your friend, you can look at them right now and say, you've been a little extra recently. A little extra, you know, a little extra annoyed, a little extra impatient. You know, I just had a day recently this past week where I found myself frustrated at like four of the nicest, kindest people that I know in life. And by the time I got to the fourth person, I realized, you know, Maybe it's not them. <laughs> maybe it's me. You know, maybe it's me. Sometimes we just feel like it's a little extra. And it's not just COVID. It's not just the challenges of quarantine and all the things that we're going through as a society. But I think we live in a world that demands a little extra from us. I think if you look at your life, you'd find that there's deficit, that there's places that you always seem to need a little extra. For example, do you need a little extra sleep? I feel like maybe you just don't get quite enough sleep. Do you need a little extra cash? You know, how much cash would be enough? Well, just a little extra would be enough, you know? Do you need a little extra time? A little extra time to get to those projects around the house that you've been neglecting? A little extra time to have time to talk one-on-one -on -one with your son about those important issues? A little extra time to take your wife out on a date? A little bit of extra time? How much would be enough? Well, maybe just a little extra. And I love this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 because it really is about extra, right? There's so many moments in this story that exemplify this truth of a little extra. And uh, 
to understand it fully, you really need to see it in its context. You need to understand what happened right before the feeding of the 5,000 and what happens right after, because just like your life, context is crucial, right? When you look at the dumb moments or the difficult problems of your life, you know, to, to understand it fully, you got to understand where you came from and where you hope to go. And when you have it in context, things start to make a little bit more sense, maybe. And in this story, I think that that is definitely true. We're told in the text that just before Jesus feeds the 5,000, he gets the news that John the Baptist, his cousin, was murdered. And it was a senseless murder. It was a frustrating loss. And so here he is grieving deeply the loss of someone that he loved very, very much. And so he was so grieved that he decided to leave the crowds. He decided to get away with his disciples, cross the sea, and just needed some time alone to recoup, to process, and to pray. And the people who saw him leave, followed him on the land. And when he arrived to his secret place, there were thousands of people waiting for him. And one of the accounts says that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he takes the time with his disciples to dig a little deeper and he teaches them God's word and he heals the sick. And this probably goes on for hours and hours and hours. And now where we pick it up in John 6, it's starting to get dark. Everybody's a little hungry, right? And so they're all, I'm sure, feeling a little extra. The disciples are tired. They're exhausted. They're weary. It's been a long, difficult couple of days. And it's in this context that Jesus turns to Philip And he says, hey, Phil, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? And it's interesting because I love how Jesus puts the weight of the problem right on Philip, you know, at the most inopportune moment. And this may feel this way in your life. I know for me, sometimes it feels that these problems land on me at the exact moment that I want them to land on me least. You know, when you look at the story of your life, you'll find that it is often true that when it rains, it pours. It's not just one thing, it's seven things. You might be going through that right now. And so Philip's confronted with this question and it does beg us to ask, why would Jesus put this back on Philip? You know, he says, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? And verse six, it says this, it says, he asked this only to test him. Everybody say test, only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't it a good thing that Jesus already has in mind? what he's going to do with your life. He already has in mind what he's going to do tomorrow. You might not have in mind, but he already has it in mind. And we're told that this is a test. If you're with a family member or a friend, look them in the eye and tell them you are being tested. You are being tested. I think for many of us, this is a foreign concept when it comes to our understanding of God. We don't realize that God does, in fact, test his disciples, that he tests all those who follow him. Now, it doesn't say that he tempts them. God never tempts us into sin, but he does test us. In Genesis 22, we're told Abraham is tested. In Exodus 20, we're told the people of Israel is tested. In Psalm 66, we're told he is the God who tests. Proverbs 17.3 says the crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. The Lord tests the heart. And so this is very very important to our understanding of how God works. Now, some of us hear this and we immediately think God is like a vindictive math teacher, you know, like I'm just going to give you a pop quiz on algebra, even though you haven't studied that yet, you know, and you're going to fail. Ha ha ha. No, that's not how God is. God is a loving father and he loves us enough to know that moments of tension are important for us. If we're ever going to expand in our faith, that growth is actually produced 
through these tests. And so I don't know why it is that most of us come to God with the concept that he's going to make everything in our lives easy, that, you know, it's just bubble gum and, 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 and sunshine and rainbows. And that's what we expect from God. Perfect health, perfect wealth, perfect blessing, perfect favor, families, perfect, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as that doesn't happen, we're like, God, how is that possible? How could you take that away? What kind of a dad gives his kids lollipops every 10 seconds? No dad does that because you're going to rot the kid's teeth. A good father understands that sometimes you got to take the lollipop away and you have to teach your children responsibility and faith. So maybe, maybe the problem that you've been asking God to remove is actually a test he's permitted to grow your faith in him. Testing, testing. Now Matthew's account tells us that as soon as the disciples see all these people, they say, Jesus, send them away. And I I love that because I can identify with that. I think there's something in all of us that when we see a test, when we see a problem, we're immediately like, how do I avoid that? You know, how do I get out of that? How do I avoid that hard conversation? How do I strategically not check my credit card statement this month for an extra couple of days so that I can still go out to eat? I don't know if you've ever identified or experienced that. I'm sure you haven't, but uh, neither have I, of course. But, um, but you know, the other day I was, uh, <laughs> I was assigning chores to my kids and we will leave the child that I am addressing unnamed in the Kendrick house. But I was assigning different chores to my kids and one of our kids needed to vacuum the upstairs. And sometime during the vacuuming process, he dropped the vacuum and three pieces snapped off. And he decided that it would be wise to take those three pieces and hide those pieces in the closet. And of course, about an hour later, we discovered that the vacuum was missing pieces and we sat our son down and we said, "Um, did you really think we weren't gonna find the broken parts? I mean, like, let's think this through. Did you think that you'd get away with this? That you'd just be able to ignore the broken parts by sweeping them into a closet? And we hear that story and we think, well, that's ridiculous, that's silly, except that there have been broken parts of your marriage that you've been sweeping into a closet hoping no one sees, and broken parts of your thinking that you've been sweeping into a closet hoping no one sees, and broken parts of your character that you've been sweeping into a closet, broken parts of your work ethic because you've been trying to avoid the test. Friend, look at me today. Do not avoid the tests of life. Learn to walk into them because faith doesn't grow unless it goes through a fire. That's the way your faith grows. And so Philip, he takes the problem head on, right? But right as soon as he takes the problem on, he begins to reason his way through it. And he goes, okay, okay, 5,000 men plus women and children, 15, 20,000 people. Everybody's got to eat. We're going to need about eight months, 200 denarii. We're going to need about eight months wages in order to get everybody a single bite. That's a bit of a discouraging calculation, right? He's like, that means it is impossible. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. We don't have a bread factory around here. We're in the middle of nowhere. This cannot work. And I think that some of us right now in our lives are looking at the data of our circumstances and we're a little discouraged because you say, Justin, I don't know how I'm ever going to have kids now. I don't know how I'm ever going to find that special someone now. I can't even go on a date without a mask on my face. I don't even know how I'm going to handle these bills now. And I've tried rational reason And it's just conclusion impossible. That's the situation. So what do we do when we use our reason and it leads us to a conclusion that is beyond the limits of what we can ever actually realize? See, bread in the Bible represents more than just, you know, a delicious carbohydrate. Bread 
represents in the Bible the fundamental substance of life. You remember that God feeds them manna, bread, in the wilderness to keep the people of Israel alive. You remember that Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't say our daily steak or our daily salad, praise the Lord. He says our daily bread, right? And so bread represents more than just bread. It represents the substance of life. And so when Jesus asks Philip, hey, where are we going to buy bread? He's not just asking him about bread. He's inviting him into a different way of thinking about life, about where does my substance come from, about what is my ultimate sense of source or life in this world. And reason says, I don't have enough. Reason says there's no way to do it. But friend, I came here today to tell you something encouraging that God has created something that's even greater than reason. And he calls it revelation. And when reason tells me we can't, revelation tells me he is the bread of life, that there is a life I can tap into that is supernatural. There is a life that I can have access to. And if God is with me, then there's always a way. I came here to tell you today, whatever your circumstances or situation is, if God is with you, there's always a way in Jesus name. And so Jesus tests Philip to uncover a mindset that will hinder his growth in the future. Write this thought down. Because what's true for him is what's true for you. God permits impossible situations to expose unredeemed perspectives. He permits impossible situations in our lives so that he can expose in us perspectives that need to change in order order for us to experience his fullness. So what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if these last nine, ten months are a test? What if they're a test? I'm not saying that God caused COVID-19. We're not getting into that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that like a good father right now, he's testing your faith. He's proving your character. He's exposing your inconsistencies. And he's inviting you into a different point of view where I stop seeing life through the problem I face and I start seeing life through the person I face the problem with. If you're with me, there is hope. If you're with me, there is life. If, you, if you're with me, there is bread. I am the bread of life is what Jesus said. So thank God for Andrew in this context because Philip uses his reason and it doesn't get him very far. But Andrew steps in, interrupts and says, hey, I've got this boy. And he says, and he has five small, everybody say small. He has five small loaves and two small fish. I love how the text emphasizes the fact that both are very small. They're small. So look at that person, that family member, that friend that you're with and tell them, start small, start small. It's just five small loaves, two small fish. But even in this context, that's kind of a big lunch for a kid, right? I mean, what kid do you know eats five loaves of bread and two fish for dinner? I mean, that's serious. Clearly, he brought a little extra. He brought a little extra. We don't know much about him, but there's no indication that he is forced to surrender his his food. It would seem that he volunteered it. And that's awesome. That's awesome that a little kid would see 15, 20,000 people and run up to one of the disciples of Jesus and say, hey, I've got some food. You know what I mean? Like on the outside, it's like, really, kid? You got five loaves of bread and two fish. There's thousands of people. But this kid had a different mindset. And it's the mindset that Jesus seeks to cultivate in us. The mindset was just simple. It was simple. And it was, I'm going to bring what I have. And I believe God can make it 
what I need. I'm going to bring what I have, and I believe that God can do something supernatural. Remember Jesus said that unless you're converted and you learn to think in this childlike manner, you can't ever see the kingdom of God. You have to understand that God's a father. I read a study recently that said that 84% of kindergartners test high for creativity. And by second grade, that's dropped down to 10%. You know, life has a way of sucking the creativity out of us, just kind of destroying our imaginations over time, you know? And what we have to understand is that if you're ever going to really be more than alive, you've got to rediscover that sense of pliable possibility, that sense of supernatural creativity, that sense of imagination. Look at what it says in verse 10. I love this. It says, Jesus says, have all the people sit down. Look at that person next to you. Tell them, sit down. You look back and say, I'm already sitting. He says, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. I love this. He says, everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. 5,000 men. Why does he mention the grass? You know, like of all the details to mention, and, you know, sometimes in the Bible, we, we just tend to blow past certain details. But what I've learned about Scripture is that no detail is too small. Nothing is irrelevant in the Bible. And what we have to know is that grass is actually important. It represents a place of rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? A place of rest. And so sitting down in this context was an act of faith. You don't sit 15,000 people down without an amplification system very quickly. And so it must have taken them, who knows, maybe an hour, maybe more, to get everybody just to sit down. Hey, sit down. Hey, hey, everybody sit down. I mean, it's going to take a while just to communicate that. They're not listening. They're running around. And so however long it took them, the whole time they're doing it, could you imagine what the disciples are thinking? Why are we sitting these people down? There's no reason for them to sit. There's no food here. we got to get them out of here. Like, what are we doing in the midst of all this? And so here they are having everybody sit down, and that itself is an act of faith, right? And so what are they doing when they sit? They're learning to say, listen, I'm still hungry, right? My stomach is churning. My heart is frustrated. And yet I'm resting in your provision that I haven't yet seen. Do you see it? I'm not striving. I'm not struggling. I'm not scrambling. And you might be here right now and you're looking out and there's just no provision in sight. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's whatever in your life, your business, your world, your family. You say, I don't know how it's all going to come together. I don't know this how it's all going to work. And yet what God is saying is you've got to sit down first. You've got to begin to rest in me. You've got to trust that I have a plan before you see the plan manifest. Faith is learning to rest when your stomach's still empty. Or let me say it another way. You can jot it down. Faith is learning to rest in God's plan before you experience God's provision. Faith is learning. That's what faith is. That's the essence of faith. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. I'm preaching to myself right now. It's a lifelong journey, learning to rest in God's plan before you experience God's provision. He makes me lie down. This is not passively accepting the problems. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. This is actively trusting God and resting in his promises. And so Jesus takes these loaves and he breaks them. I love that. Because as he begins to distribute, just like the oil we looked at last week, just as he sets it in motion, it begins to multiply. And it becomes a little extra. Look at verse 12. It says, And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What a miracle. 12 disciples, 12 baskets. God made 
a little extra. He made a little extra. And you know, I'm not much of a cook. Chrissy, my wife, is, is a great cook. And uh, I'm always amazed by her ability to, to see a, a, you know, an, a group of people and then anticipate portion size. That's for me the most intimidating aspect of cooking. I look at it and I go, okay, there's five of us. How much am I supposed to cook? I don't know. Like I, I put it in the, and, I, and like measuring out portion size is a little tricky for me. And I feel like I always do it wrong. Either we don't have nearly enough food or we have like 16 times too much. It's, a, it's not a skill of mine and I'm not a good cook. And in general, I don't do it often, and so I have not perfected that aspect of the craft. But when I look at this story, we have to understand that God didn't miscalculate the recipe. He wasn't like, oh, I made too much. That was a mistake. He made extra for a reason. He made extra to teach us something. Well, what, what's he trying to teach us in making so much extra? Well, at first glance, you might say, well, maybe he was giving food to the disciples for a few days ahead. You know, and that's possible. Maybe it was about providing for the next day or the day after that. Certainly that is a possibility, but think about this. He's the God of more than enough. He's the God who just fed 15 or 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And now he's going to ask his disciples to live on like a half eaten piece of cold fish and, you know, a piece of bread that some little seven-year-old put his fingers all over. Like the, the scraps probably weren't that awesome looking. So I don't think that that's the only reason he preserved the extra. I think there's something else here. All four of the disciples we're told to collect the extra, but they're never told in any of the accounts, all four accounts, excuse me, all 12 disciples, never in any of the four accounts of this story are they ever told to distribute the extra. And so we have to assume that they kept it, that they took it with them. And so the next thing that happens in the story is they get in a boat and they go out to sea without Jesus. This is what happens in the context of the story in each of the accounts of this, except for Luke's, all other three say right away they went into the boat. And so these three jump, or these, uh, these three stories tell us that they jump right into the boat. And here they are in the boat the night after this great miracle. And they're rowing and rowing, and Jesus is not there, and it's dark. And then the wind picks up, and the waves start ripping. And before they know it, they find themselves in an incredibly dangerous scenario. So just, you know, imagine this with me. Here you are, the disciples. They're rowing like crazy. They're fighting against the wind. They're fighting against the waves. The waves are rocking. They're crashing. It's becoming dangerous. Their heart's starting to pound. And here they are rowing and rowing and rowing. And out of the corner of their eye, they look at each other and they think, boy, this is dangerous. This is not good. We're in the middle of this lake. Something bad could happen here. Jesus isn't here. He's not with us. But right in the middle of the boat, there are these 12 big baskets. It's full of fish and bread. And so as they look at each other and as they look at the waves, something else enters into their vision. And it's these baskets, this extra that God had provided. See, I don't think God brought that extra along just to give them much more food for the future. I think he brought those baskets along to give them perspective on how they should think about the future because there's going to be a day ahead of you or maybe it's already right now when you look out and you feel alone, when you look out and it seems dark, when you look out and a storm is coming and a boat is sinking and Jesus feels far away where you don't feel like you're in control and reason doesn't get you across the finish line. And it's in those moments that rather than panicking, rather than losing yourself, rather than running to some broken solution, you remember the loaves that Jesus multiplied in your previous season. See, faith, this is what I'm trying to get at. Don't, don't miss me here 
today. Faith by nature is progressive. It builds one upon another, upon another, upon another. Faith grows in our lives over time. And so every test in your life becomes like bread in your boat. It becomes something that you can lean on, something you can go back to so that in the middle of the storm, You can look back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm talking to somebody right now. I remember when I was broke and God got me through. I remember when my family was a mess and he put it back together. I remember when I didn't have a job and he made a way for all those months. I remember when I was sick. I remember when I was addicted. I remember when I was at the end of my rope. I remember when things were falling apart, when I was ashamed, when I was depressed. I remember those moments and yet here I am still. I'm looking back on his blessing. This is not my first rodeo. I've been tested. I've been buffeted. I've been challenged. I've gone through some trials and my father has been training me every moment so that I could stand and know that he's not going to leave me now. And so rather than hiding, rather than just surviving, I can begin to thrive because just like David, I fought a lion, I fought a bear, and now I'm not afraid of this giant. Me and God, we got some history. We've been through some things together. I've been tested and he hasn't failed me. So I can keep rowing, knowing that he's going to be walking on that water really soon. And of course, in the story, he does. And so if you're here right now, you're listening to me in your living room, wherever you're tuning in today. And you say, Justin, I I don't know if I'm really thriving I find myself in a bit of a storm right now with my kids. I find myself in a bit of a storm right now in my health. I find myself in a bit of a storm right now with my business. Things feel a little tense right now. And maybe it was a lonely Thanksgiving or a difficult week. I came here to tell you something. That God does have a plan to get you through. Jot this thought down. That the strength for the test you're facing is sitting in the boat of your past experiences. The strength for the test you're facing, the one you're facing right now, it's already sitting in the boat of your past experiences. If you would just go back, look at the times he's been faithful before, you will discover a strength that enables you to get through the challenge that you're facing right now. He's already hidden that strength in your past experience. So while you're rowing and while the waves are crashing and while the darkness is consuming and while the storm is brewing, just look back at those baskets and remember he got me through that time and he never left me hungry. He is my bread of life. Wherever you are right now, would you stand with me? Right there in your living room, right there in your bedroom, wherever you are, would you stand up with me and close your eyes? I want to pray for you today because maybe you can identify with those disciples when they felt a little extra, a little extra tired, a little extra frustrated, a little extra exhausted, a little extra stressed. I don't know what little extra you have going on in your life right now, but I know for a fact that Jesus wants to meet you and he wants to pull you into a life of more, more than alive, a life of thriving. And so I wanna pray for you. So right there where you find yourself today on the other side of that screen, just lift up your hands. I don't care if you feel silly, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit's here. He wants to meet you. I wanna pray that God's growing your faith right now and that as he refines it, as he tests you, you come out like gold. So Father, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister right now. I pray for that person who just got that diagnosis. I pray for that person 
who feels like their stress levels have just hit an 11 on the scale. I pray for every person, whether it's just a low hum of frustration because the season we're living in, or whether it's a moment where the alarm bells are going off, in the name of Jesus, I pray that even right now you would meet us with your presence. I pray that even right now you would remind us of the loaves, that God, those faithful moments of previous seasons would become strength and substance for us today. God, that we would find the source of strength in the confidence of our history with you. You've been faithful. You've kept us alive this long. You've bailed us out of a thousand difficult situations. You are faithful even when we waver. And so I pray a strength. Come upon my brother right now. Come upon my sister right now, Lord. Just say it out loud. I receive your strength. I receive your strength, Lord, right now. I receive from you now. I open my heart and I receive that bread of life from you. I want to pray for every person today that maybe you find yourself here and you're far from God. You need to know that you don't need to live that way. That Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sin. He rose from the dead so that you could have new life. And he calls out to you today to establish relationship with God through him. Place your faith in Jesus. You don't have to earn it. You cannot deserve it. But if you would trust in Christ today with your life, he'll come and live inside your heart and he will give you eternal life by his Holy Spirit. If that's you today, there's a number on the bottom of our screen and you can text Jesus to that number because we want to pray with you. But I want to lead you in a simple prayer of surrender right now. Would you say, Jesus, save me? Tell him today, I open my heart to you. I believe you died and rose again. Be the king of my life. Wash away my sin and make me new. Today, I receive your life. Church family, I just want to encourage you. God is working in this time and he's working in your heart. I pray the blessing of Jesus over your life today. In Christ's name, amen. Fox Church seeks to reach New England and beyond with the life-transforming message of Jesus. If you have been impacted by this message or the ministry of Vox Church, you can continue to help us reach others by giving today at voxchurch.org forward slash give. For more information on how to get involved, visit us online or on any social media platform at vox.church. We always appreciate you taking the time to rate or review this message on iTunes. Thanks again for listening to the Vox Church podcast.